1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. FM 104's
0: Room 104 Podcast
1: with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. If you listen to Room 104, 0876797104 taking in there, get in touch with us here this evening. The next person you're gonna hear from has had quite the life to say the least. Yeah, just a little bit. One that I probably wouldn't want to live if I'm being totally honest <laughs> Yeah and we're going to talk to him a little bit more but he has authored a book and the book is called Dope World Adventures in Drug Lands and after getting himself arrested sent to prison for drug dealing tried to turn things around and said well let's dive straight into this world and see what we can learn about the different parts of the world different attitudes and different things towards drugs he joins us now to explain a little bit more about his life how he wrote the book some of the situations he found himself in Niko Frobiov, thank you very much for joining Room 104 this evening how are you? Hi yeah, I'm great. Thanks. How did you wind up in prison, and then once you were out, what did you decide to do with your life?
0: Well, I'll put it this way: about um, 10, 11 years ago, I was I was a bit of a naughty boy. I did a few silly things, and then I really stupidly got caught. I was in London, basically. I was selling drugs around the London. Union, they have dogs on the tube sometimes. And I always tell people, don't take drugs in a tube. There are dogs in a tube. But, you know, one day I was just in a bit of a hurry, so I thought, what the hell with this? I put a few rounds of uh, MDMA in my back pocket, and my unlucky day. The funny thing is, I actually got the wrong tube station. If I got off at the right tube station, I would have avoided dogs and none of this would have happened.
1: Oh, no. Okay, well, maybe you were meant to be caught for a reason. Yeah, yeah, maybe that led to something else. After you, how long did you spend in prison?
0: I was there, well, I got two and a half years was my sentence, but I had to wear an ankle bracelet for a while. So, you know, we had a lot of house parties, so I had to be home from seven till seven. What age were you at the time? Ooh, I'm going to say 23, 22, 23, something like that. The so called prime of my youth.
1: So, after after you got out of prison, um, why, what was, where was the inspiration to want to go and go kind of a document or write a book about the different drug worlds all over the planet?
0: Well, basically, while I was in jail, I had a. One good thing about jail is I had a lot of uh, time. I read this one book called uh, Mr. Knight by Howard Marks. He was a convicted. Uh, so as well. More a lot more big time than me. A lot more. This looks quite interesting. That made me think a lot more about, you know, what's the uh, what are the issues surrounding it and uh, how does this play out across the world. So I worked for a while, I saved up a bit of money, I bought some plane tickets and I went around to 15 countries across five continents.
1: When you were going around the different countries, um, what was your reason for wanting to go to these different, I suppose, drug centres all over the world? Like, what was the the purpose of trying to visit them all?
0: I feel there's been a lot of good books about this topic already. So, for example, uh, Chasing the Scream by Johan Harris. But I feel that, like, a lot of the books, they focus a lot about either, at least in English, they focus on either England or, like, the UK or America, or places like that. Whereas I want to see like places which haven't been explored so much, so maybe like places like Pan and Russia and Iran, because we didn't hear so much about that in the uh, Western media. And obviously, I speak Russian. I was born in Russia, so that gave me a little bit of an edge. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, your life looks looks insane, um, and the, right, the research for this book looks a bit mad. I imagine, did you find yourself in one or two dangerous situations? Obviously, if you have to research drug dealers, I imagine they're not the most friendly to people who want to write books about no. them.
0: You prepare in advance if you're honest, if you're upfront, and you tell people what you're doing. So, you tell people straight away, I'm writing a about this and that, and I'm not going to use the real name, whatever. I think it's more, it's okay. Having said that, though, there are a couple of times where I thought, you know, what the hell am I doing here? So, for example, um, me and a friend, we went up to the mountains in Mexico in Sinaloa, the village of La Tuna, which is where El Chapo was from. El Chapo is like one of the biggest drug lords yeah. on the planet, or he was. And we went up there, and they had maybe it was just for my benefit, because, you know, I was a gringo, but they were having what I can only describe as a Mexican cartel sushi party. They're about, I was gonna say, 15 or 20 guys with like AR-15s around their shoulders and got pistols tucked into their jeans, all like stood around listening to Mariachi music and eating sushi. One of our chopper's cousins comes up to me. He asked me uh, what I thought about Albanian, which I thought was a weird question. Yeah. Then it turns out he's a big fan of the film Taken with Liam Neeson. Oh, God. <laughs> so basically, we just sat there uh, talking with this Mexican drug lord about the finer points of Liam Neeson's filmography over sushi, surrounded by all his bodyguards who are also eating sushi. Uh, so I got to say, that was one of the weirdest nights of my life. Just wow. acting like everything uh, was completely normal. Yeah. I, I was a little like, I've never seen that many guns before in my life, but... That unfilled me for a second. But then I thought, it took us about four hours to drive to the mountains to get to this place. And every couple of miles, there's like a couple of kids standing around, like 14, 15-year-old kids with uh, walkie-talkies and quad bikes. So I figured that if they didn't want us to be there, we wouldn't have made it this far anyway, you know?
1: Yeah, that's very true. You would have been gone a long time ago. And were they okay talking to you and opening up and
0: all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can't ask them questions like, uh, so where were you on the (laughs) night of June the (laughs) 13th? Yeah. between 5 and 8 o'clock in the evening. But you can ask some things like, oh, have you heard about such and such thing happening? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, so a friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. So you have to kind of work around these questions a little bit.
1: It's like a real-life Narcos. Yeah, you'd shown yourself right in the middle.
0: There was a show on in the UK on Channel 4 a while ago called The Real Life Narcos. Had some SAS Oh. going around. And his guy in Mexico... That was the same guy who hooked me up with um, El Chapo's voice. Well, I'm gonna say, just... will you
1: keep in touch with these guys? Or <laughs> yeah, was it just for Facebook or yeah, what's was it going it on?
0: Research purposes only? I am friends with uh I became friends with this guy called uh Badamar Casel. He's a Marco corrido singer, which is a type of folk music they have in Mexico. Sounds like just like another kind of folk music, you know, with guitars and all that. But really like the lyrics are close to gangster rap, you know, like throwing drugs and killing people and stuff. And he actually performed for El Chapo a couple of times, he wrote a song for El Chapo called Blood Proof
1: Fest. Uh, me and him are buddies now. We're Facebook pals. <laughs> God, it's insane. That makes it official. It is like a different world. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's one of the reasons why you were obviously trying to do this book and to explore the impact drugs have on, on different parts of the world, which might chat to you because you, you've mentioned or have read stuff that You said, you know, the Japanese, are a different kind of culture and attitude towards certain drugs than yeah. the West would, for example. But is it true that in, was it in the Philippines you were able to sit down with a hitman.
0: Yeah, he was an exterminator for one of the death squads. So i do not know sure how much the readers know about the uh, the situation in the Philippines. But basically, they have a new president there, uh, Rodrigo Duterte. And his whole thing is he just wants to wipe out all drug dealers, all drug users. And there's like no trial, no jury. So even if you have the view that all these people should be wiped out, like a lot of this is just hearsay, you know? Like your neighbor could call the police say, yes, yeah, I saw this guy like selling some weed a couple of days ago. And then you know, a couple of days later, they knock on knock on your door, and then silly silly bang bang, you're over. That's how they make these lists. But yeah, I was really hoping that nobody gave that hitman guy a look at my TV. But where did where did you meet him? So we went to this sort of karaoke bar in the outskirts of Manila, and um, one by the time we got there. Uh, he was already there, so he, we, he was already in the upstairs room. So he had his balaclava on and everything standing in the middle of the room. So again, there was like another sort of moment like in Mexico, like, what the hell am I doing here? It took us a while to, to organize this interview, like me and my uh, the journalist I was working with. And he's come out all this way as well. He obviously doesn't live in this karaoke bar. So he's going to be pretty pissed off if I suddenly uh, run away now. I kind of had to do the interview at that point.
1: I mean, he was working for, was it Tuterte, his death squads, the government's death squads, or one of the gangs?
0: Well, what he said, and this has been um, confirmed by uh, other other journalists who've done this stuff, I think there's like a, another BBC interview with another death squad killer. So basically, uh, the guy I met, he said that he was working for the military, so for generals and stuff, which is how they managed to get away with their crimes for so long. And what I thought was interesting was that he seems to leave certain dealers or certain high-level kingpins alone if they didn't forget to pay up. So if they pay their taxes to certain government officials and they can carry on, business is normal. So in a way, in some ways, like what's happening in the Philippines about... 26,000 people, I think, have been killed already, according to some estimates in the last three years. But what's happening, I think, is it's a sort of nationalisation of the drugs business. Because obviously there's still drugs there. We found we still found crystal meth in Manila. But the price has gone up, you know? So you got to think, who does that
1: benefit? Duterte is uh, painted as a bit of a monster, I suppose. He's going around and indiscriminately killing people that are suspected of being in any way, shape or form involved in, in the drugs trade. And as you said, there's no trial or anything. It's just dead. How do locals respond like do Like, does anyone like him over there? You know what?
0: That's another thing that was interesting. That's something I learned. They have a very different sort of outlook on it. Like, I've even met one lady whose husband was actually murdered. He was part of a... Like, three people were murdered that night. Him and two friends in a mass killing. And she actually thinks that, you know, like, he was doing... Overall, he's doing the right thing. Like, that that killing... That was like a misstep in what's like an otherwise worthy cause, you know what I mean? I guess it's because Filipinos have been screwed around for so long, for, for decades, by the government authorities. and the drugs problem is kind of like a manifestation of that like they blame the authorities they think that maybe only brute force is a thing that can solve this problem so he's got a lot of support I think he's like somewhere between 60 and 80 I think Wow What place did you find the the most dangerous or did you find kind of that your safety was at risk? I think out of all the the places um, probably the Philippines or Mexico oh there was one time so I'm not going to say where obviously on air for your listeners because that might be illegal but there is a small town in the south of colombia where they do tours of a uh, coca plantation The stuff that they used to make cocaine and you can actually see the whole process from the leaves to how they get the powder and stuff the whole time i was there i kept thinking you know that any moment now a helicopter is going to land it's like in the middle of the jungle way on a stick the helicopter is going to land soldiers are going to jump out you know waving m-16s I'm going to try to make a run for it, but obviously I'm no match for trained soldiers. They're going to catch me, and then I'm going to have a very awkward phone call to my mom, like, Mom, it happened again. <laughs> oh, God. But it didn't happen. No, no, I'm still here to tell the tale.
1: It was a very sketchy moment. For you, what did you learn by going to the different countries? How how do people's in different countries, how do their opinions or perspe- perceptions towards drugs change depending on the country you're in?
0: I think that was quite interesting. So I think that a reason why uh, some things are illegal. For example, cannabis is illegal. Let's say alcohol is legal. It's sort of the social value that, that we put on it, for example, because you compare the harms. Like, I think if more people stayed at home and smoked weed than go out on Friday night and pick fights with bouncers after too many Jager bombs, I think overall that will be like a net benefit. But the reason why cannabis is illegal and alcohol is legal is a lot to do with our sort of social perspective. And for example, one thing that illustrated that for me was when I was in Iran. So alcohol is obviously illegal in Iran, or it's illegal for like 90% of the population who are Muslim. And because it's looked down upon in the Quran, there's some verses prohibiting it. Obviously, they still like a drink every now and then. But like the bigger drug, that you the more popular drug you find in Iran is opium. Because opium has been smoked in Iran for um, hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Yeah. There's nothing explicitly in the Quran against any other kind of drug, really. It's just alcohol. You can interpret it as people do to mean any, anything, that kind of any consciousness-shifting substance. But it only explicitly says alcohol. So a lot of people there, especially in the east, like closer to the Afghan border, smoke opium, but they're not cool with having a drink. So I thought that was quite interesting. And also in Japan, anything that's illegal, it's very much looked down upon. But in terms of illegal drugs, most countries, the most illegal thing people do is smoke weed. In Japan, it's crystal meth because you know those manic like 12 hour shifts they're pulling at the office in Japan their crazy workaholic culture yeah. Yeah. like you're not going to sneak away to smoke a joint off of that like, but if you do some speed you might start getting stuff done
1: yeah that's mad it's a weird reflection of their history and their culture because I know yeah. in Japan I think and I'll be I stand corrected but as you said there work culture is ridiculous yeah. and you're not allowed go until you, until your superior is gone yeah. so if the CEO is sitting in his office till 10 o'clock at night you, and you have nothing to do you don't go. Literally stay in there trying obviously do 14, 15, 16-hour days. But um, listen, Nico, thanks a million for, for popping on. I know you're, you're over in Brazil. I, I don't know if it's work-related or another book-related, but um, I take it your book uh, is available on online on, on Amazon and the usual places?
0: Yeah, it's... Um online on Amazon, W.E. Smith, Waterstones. It should be in uh, all the major bookshops, really, I think.
1: Cool. Dope World Adventures in Druglands. Nico, thanks a million for speaking with us this evening and look after yourself and stay safe. All
0: right, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.
1: Sick of being upsold at gyms?